do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is Tuesday, June 29, 2010. Off to a bit of a late start today. I'm not starting recording until 10 a.m., so probably be around lunchtime when the show gets published. But what are we going to talk about today? Well, we're going to talk about technology and using technology-based tools as preppers and modern survivalists. And uh, I have a lot to talk to you about today, all kinds of different things that are available. And I also want to kind of talk to you about the fact that some preppers shun technology in favor of primitive skills. And we'll talk about that more in a bit and why I think that can be a mistake and why I don't think we should uh, use either to the exclusion of the other. Before we do that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our housekeeping segment Uh, first item today with housekeeping, as always, is taking care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today, Ready-Made Resources. And Ready-Made Resources is a great uh, group to do business with. Uh, you'll find everything that you need for your prepping needs, both the high-tech and the low-tech, the, uh, the primitive stuff and the uh, modern technology, just like today's show. One thing you'll also find there is a great selection of Mountain House food. And I wanted to let you know, and the reason I kind of moved them into this position today, is they're running a sale, 25% off all Mountain House, and that sale ends tomorrow. So you have until tomorrow to take advantage of their 25% off sale, and their Mountain House uh, stuff goes back to regular price. Sponsor of the day number two today is Western Botanicals. Um, Western Botanicals is probably my favorite place online to get herbs, uh, specifically whole herb for making my own preparations. They also have some great preparations that are already put together there for you. But I can find things from Western Botanicals I just can't find anywhere else. Or, I'll put it to you this way, when I want two or three hard-to-find things, I can get them all there. Uh, so, as a re information resource, as a place that already has the herbs put into preparations for you, or for a place for whole herbs, Western Botanicals is a great place to go. Remember, if you're part of the Members Brigade, you get their preferred membership absolutely 100% free uh, just by making a phone call and telling them that you would like to be set up with their preferred membership. That gives you 25% off all of your orders. Uh, next up, I did a little video yesterday I want you guys to take a look at. That video is of some seed packs from High Mowing Organic Seeds. It's about $47 worth of seeds. Uh, really great selection. I show you all the seeds. A couple of them I actually have growing in my garden, so I actually show you some of the plants, or actually the, the, the fruits of the plants, so to speak, and uh, let you know about this contest that's coming up. What they're going to be doing is they're going to be giving these away. And what I'm going to do is on Thursday and Friday of this week, I'll be giving away some seed packs. I'll be doing two on Thursday and three on Friday, so you want to check that video out. I'm going to prepare you in advance, though, because I'm going to do this different. Usually I give you a code word for a listener contest. The way this is going to work is I'm going to tell you, go to uh, High Mowing's uh, website, 
and go to this particular page and give me the fourth word in the copy on that page. So I'm actually going to send you to their site so you can check their site out and uh, give them a little bit of uh, some web traffic in return for supporting the show. But again, I'll be giving away five packs this week, two on Thursday, three on Friday, of uh, high-mowing organic seeds. Uh, So uh, you'll definitely want to check the video out and be prepared for that. Next up, make sure you connect with us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook. I'll leave it at that today. Also, make sure that you are considering at least joining the Member Support Brigade. Do that. You'll get great benefits like I just described, and I'll leave it at that today because I really want to blow out and get through the the, uh, the intro segment here and get into today's topic because I'm kind of excited about today's topic. Let's start out with why I wanted to do this and, and, and a bias out there I see with some preppers, especially the people that are more involved with, uh, let's say, the bushcrafting side of things. Uh, and and to the exclusion of technology. And what I mean by that is, for instance, I have a fellow prepper uh, friend of mine who who is uh, really a good guy, and he's really one of these guys that likes to spend most of his time out in in the woods and in the bush. And he's one of these guys that no matter where you drop him off, he's going to show you how to to build a fire with something that he can find that's available there. If he has to make a bow drill or a hand drill uh, using only a knife, he's going to do that. He's going to get a fire going. And if you say which way is north, whether it's night, cloudy, dark, one way or another, he's going to be able to sort of at least figure out his bearings and what direction he needs to travel. And if he can't, he'll stay put until he can because sooner or later something will change and give you some semblance or sense of direction. So his his comment to me one day when we were out hanging out together was, that GPS is going to get you killed. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, if you don't know how to navigate, and you're sitting here using this GPS to, to, to shortcut these things, and uh, the satellites ever don't work, or you just can't get a signal, or your batteries run out, or you drop and break the damn thing, you're going to get killed. And I said to him, what makes you think I can't navigate without this? simply because I'm using it. And his response was, well, if you can, then why use it? And I asked him a very simple question, and one that I think hit him right between the eyes like a two-by-four. I said, so, do you dri- do you ride a horse to work? And he just looked kind of blank for a second and thought about that. And he said, what the hell do you mean? I said, well, you have a job, right? Do you ride a horse to work? He said, no. I said, how do you get to work? He goes, I drive a car. I said, what's going to happen if the car doesn't work? He says, well, I'll get, and you know, kind of stopped right there. And that was my point. That we don't shun technology in our daily lives. So why would we shun technology when it comes to prepping? Now, let me be clear. I also don't think we should become dependent on technology for survival and preparatory needs. We should use it as a tool and understand like any tool, we need a system of redundancy to compensate if the tool fails. Again, this is just like I think I talked about this last week. If we are teaching a child to do basic mathematics, eventually we'll put a calculator in their hand or a computer in their hand so that they can do complex mathematics more quickly and do calculations uh, in a faster, more efficient manner. But the first thing we're going to do is we're going to teach them how to add, multiply, subtract, and divide from you know 1 to 12 and back down. And with that basic set of building blocks and skills, that child is then going to be able to not only uh, make do if the calculator fails, but make more efficient use 
of the calculator and get more out of the calculation process. I believe that something like a GPS, for instance, works exactly the same way. See, I actually believe that you can use the technology and the primitive skills together to improve your ability uh, with both. And what I mean by that is, let's say that I wanted to do a little bit of training on some primitive navigation with my GPS. So I go off into the woods, and I go into an area where if I just need to, if both systems fail, I can still get out. I mean, it's just a good training environment. And I go to a point, and I set a waypoint, and maybe I leave something there to mark it. So I say, this is now simulating my base camp. And then I go off from that location and purposely... Uh, attempt to get myself, just say, a little bit lost. Again, I want to do this in an area where at least as long as I can find east, for instance, and I walk, I'm going to hit a road, and I know that, and it's less than a mile. So I'm, I'm practicing in a safe environment. Once I get to that point, uh, maybe I just sit down and take a nap, and, and so that way I'll sort of forget where I am a little bit. Now, I'm going to get up, and this has simulated my disorientation of being lost. And I'm going to know what base, basic way that I was heading and sort of back to where my base camp should be. And I sit there and I set up my sun compass or I use prevailing winds or use whatever I'm going to use to get a bearing. I take that bearing and I sit on the ground, a great big long like a walking stick or just a stick I pick up, and I point it directly where I think my base camp is. Now I turn on my GPS and I take... Uh, look at my waypoint, and I switch to the screen that gives me a compass bearing, because most GPSs have that. And then I set the compass bearing to be directly back to my waypoint, and I set that down, and I look at the two, and I look at the discrepancy between them. I've learned something. I've learned where I'm, where I'm inadequate, and I've learned why. And if I do that a few times, I'll become a very, very good primitive navigator, and if I ever end up into a situation without the GPS... I'll be much more proficient with my primitive navigation skills. So these are just, this is just one example before I start going into these of how things like this can play off each other. And there's also some things that I think, okay, if it fails, it's not there. But it's great to have unless it fails. So I kind of have a list today of some technology-based tools that I want to go through uh, more than just GPSs and, and tell you uh, what they are, how they work, and, and how you might consider using them for your own prepping needs. The first one I want to talk about, I've actually done a YouTube video on how to set them up, and it is emergency weather alerts from the Weather Channel. I think this is one of those things that if you don't set it up, I, I really don't know why. It doesn't cost anything. As long as you untick the little box that says send me special offers and information, you untick that box, and I show you in the video exactly where it is, uh, you won't get any kind of spam from them. If you don't untick that box, you will get all kinds of crap about nasal allergies and other crap that have to do with the weather. Um, so you get them for free. They can be sent to your email, to your phone, or both, which is what probably makes the most sense to do. And when you, uh, once you set them up, let's say there's a hurricane uh, uh, alert or a uh, tornado watch or a tornado warning, or based on the parameters you set, a freeze warning, uh, a snow warning, uh, a severe weather alert of any kind, based again on the parameters that you set up when you set your alert up, when that happens, when the, the National Weather Service issues that alert immediately, an email or a text or both will go out to you and say, John, there is currently a tornado in your zip code right now. Take cover. John, it's going to freeze tonight. So that means, John, cover your plants. Got it? So that's that's why I think this is cool because it's each extreme of prepping. It's from 
Something's happening right now that could kill you to something's going to happen that's going to be a minor inconvenience. And everything in between. And you decide how often you want to hear from them and what parameters you want to put around that alert. But check the video out on how to do that. It only takes a couple minutes to set up, and it'll keep you in touch with what's going on. You can also set up more than one. So let's say that you have two locations that you uh, reside in often. For me, maybe Texas and Arkansas. Uh, so, you know, Arlington and Hot Springs. Or, when I used to do a 50-mile commute, I would spend a lot of time in Frisco. Now, severe weather here, um, like a tornado, may affect Frisco and have no effect whatsoever on Arlington. So, at the time, I had two alerts set up so that if I happened to be up at my office and something dangerous was going on, I would know about it. Or if it was just going to be iced in the next day, I would know about it and just not plan on going into the office. Makes sense. So that's why I think that this service is really great, that it's free, and it's something that everybody should have set up. And honestly, without exaggeration, on any given day, it could save your life. The next one is called Google Alerts. And they used to just have this with their blog search and their news search and everything. And now it's kind of set up a little bit differently. You get there, and I'll put a link in today's show notes to all this stuff. Um, Google.com slash alerts. And you go in and you set up your search terms and preview your results and see if they're the kind of results you're looking for. So, for instance, you might go in and right now I might set up Texas oil spill. So I know if anything about the oil spill, it's going to affect the Texas coastline. And then I decide what type of alerts I want. And I can either get everything available, news, blogs, video, or discussions, which is kind of a forum search. Uh, so it could be something more like a prepper thing or more like just a monitoring thing if I want to monitor discussions. How often I want to get that, I can get it once a day, once a week, or as it happens. As it happens, it's probably going to overload you with information. Uh, email length, I can say I want to get the most recent 20 or most recent 50 results or up to 50 or 20 results, depending on what I, what I want to see. And I give them the email address that I want this stuff delivered to, which means I have to have a Google account to do this uh, so that it doesn't get abused because you could really be annoying and abusive with this, which is why I think they changed the way that it works. Because under the old system, if I wanted to really annoy you, I could just go stick your... Uh, your email address into hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Google alerts, right? So now they're being a little tighter with it. So I think that's another great tool, and it'll let you monitor anything that's in the news, whether it's the economy, whether it's pandemic, whether, you know, and the beautiful thing is since it's part of your Google account, let's say we're monitoring Texas oil spill right now, and in August the ass clown and his buddies finally get done drilling a relief well, they shut the oil spill down. A few months later, most of the cleanup efforts in, in effect. And I don't really care about hearing about Texas oil spill anymore. I just go to my account and I delete that alert. So I don't have that coming to my inbox anymore. So another great tool that I think you should really avail yourself of. The next one, um, I think that a lot of people would overlook is prepping tools. And it's not just the two I'm going to mention, but it's all the social media that's out there. Uh, but specifically Facebook and Twitter. You think about the way Facebook and Twitter works, it ties you into your family and your friends and a lot of your colleagues, and that allows you to pass and trade information at a time uh, when an emergency may make something like making a cell phone call a little bit more difficult. Uh, I think you'll find that a lot of times you'll be able to get, let's say, a text message through or a basic data message through uh, the cell network, but you may not be able to make a phone call. It also allows you, when you don't reach a person, to leave them a message, and you say, well, what's voicemail for? Well... You know, voicemails have a tendency to get lost, especially during crisis situations or not checked. But the other thing is, if I have 20 people in my group, 
and I want all of them to know the same thing, and I'm going to rely on voicemail, I have to make 20 phone calls. If I update a group through Twitter and Facebook, uh, it's there, and it's whenever they get a chance to pull it, it's available, so it's more efficient. Can it fail? You're damn right it can fail, but just like we talked about in the beginning, when we talk about using technology... We talk about expanding what we can do versus doing it to the exclusion of other things. So, in your car, you should still have a printed out copy of the contact information uh, for every person you may need to get in touch with in an emergency, including things like physical addresses, uh, landline phone numbers, basic phone numbers, email addresses. But it doesn't mean that we throw out the baby with the bathwater, so to speak, that we don't utilize a, th a thing like Facebook and Twitter to let people know. Simply, I got out, I'm okay. Can't talk now, later. Okay? Now, I'm, if the family is in a crisis, they cannot worry about me. They can let my welfare go for now. And they can worry about everybody else. So even if it's not so much for my benefit, it might be for the benefit of other people. So, uh, to me, this is a reason to go ahead and get the whole family on Facebook uh, and probably Twitter as well, even if they're not really enamored with it, give them some basic, here's how it works, training. Just so that they, if they ever need to know what's going on with you, they can find out quickly and efficiently. I also think another piece of technology that's highly overlooked by preppers, because, uh, and I've done it myself, I built a pretty sophisticated backup power system. One day I'll tie some, uh, some solar into it. I should go ahead and just do that. Um, but off-the-shelf backup power. Uh, things like I talked about recently, the Power Dome EX, which you can get on Amazon for like $109. I think that if you're a prepper, and unless you're broke and have no money, if you if you have disposable income at all, there should be a Power Dome EX or similar unit, and just the best one I've found, in every vehicle that you own. We have one in our truck, we have one in our other truck, we have one in our car, and we have one in our son's car. And the only time they're not in the vehicles is when we bring them into the house to do something with them. Um, and it, it, you can imagine how much I much like this item if I've bought multiple and it's all the same. It, it, I'm going to do some reviews for you where I'll set them up and have them running different appliances to see how long they run them with a full charge. We use this thing all the time. This weekend, we grabbed one, we took it outside, we turned the radio on. We listened to the radio while we hung out in the pool the entire time we were there. My wife bought a new raft to float around in the pool with. I opened up the little air compressor, I have a little adapter to plug into things like rafts, plugged it into the raft, blew up a raft in a couple seconds. Um, these little things are a godsend. I also want you to think about just the ability to run something like an electric fan. It's a hundred and God knows what degrees in Texas this time of year. Being able to just keep some air moving uh, during the hottest part of the day is a huge advantage. And you can run a fan for a damn long time with a Power Dome EX. So I'm a huge fan of that model, but if it's not that model, then something. Um, one or two of these things can really change things for you in a short-term power outage. Again, if we have... You know, the end of the world as we know it type scenario, the grid's down, solar flare activity, EMP strike, whatever it is, uh, e economic collapse that starts to tear apart the infrastructure, whatever it is, at that level, those little tools are going to be not very valuable. Now, you actually, if you have solar, right, and you have solar power, you can increase your storage capacity by hooking something like this up to charge off of your solar array and now have portable power. So 
even in that type of scenario, if you go to a full-scale solar, it still becomes, just like the grid brings power to your house, the solar array or the wind or whatever brings power, small hydro brings power, and it still becomes portable with the with a portable off-the-shelf power uh, s- supply. But I think for the average person, if you look at buying a couple marine batteries, an inverter, and a charge controller, you're going to be able to get up and running with some backup power much faster with a $100 unit that's off the shelf ready to go. And everybody I've talked to that owns one of these things loves it. You put two of those in your house, you've got a tremendous amount of power redundancy for, let's say, four hours on average uh, of what you would use it for. You'd about four hours of redundant power. Many blackouts, not... Again, the end of the world. Come on, we got to take the full hats off for a second. Realize not every disaster is the end of the world. Sometimes it's a convenience issue. Most blackouts, if you have four additional hours of power, it's a nice thing to have. If you have two of them, well, now you have eight additional hours of power. Additionally, they can charge off the 12 VDC outlet in your vehicle. The vehicle technically has to be running for that, but it, but that really isn't the case. The reason that the Power Dome EX people say that is because many vehicles, your cigarette lighter or your power outlet, if you plug it in there, when you turn the key, that power outlet comes on, and when you turn the key off, there's no more power there. If you have a vehicle that has that type of an outlet, or if you buy a little adapter, you could trickle charge your unit without running the vehicle. You don't want to do that continuously, because obviously the power that comes out of your vehicle battery it's transferred to the Power Dome EX, and your vehicle battery eventually dies. But you could run it, and then not run it, and run it, and not run it, and you could, let's say, you know, keep that thing charged up for a considerable long amount of time with just a full tank of gas in one of your vehicles. So there's a tremendous amount of flexibility there, not to mention keep it in your vehicle, and if you need a jump start, you don't have to ask a stranger in Walmart to do it for you in the Walmart parking lot. For those of you with kids, your 16-year-old daughter doesn't have to do that. So definitely something I think everybody should have. The little hand-crank solar radios, I think that's pretty well accepted, but I wanted to throw that in because it is a technology piece, and I think it belongs in everybody's house. You should have one or two radios that can run indefinitely uh, with with you know solar cells or hand-crank or anything other than you know just batteries or just electricities. Communication in a long-term problem can be one of the most incredibly important things uh, that you can have to know what's going on in the outside world, so to speak. Uh, I did a review of the Cato Voyager radio. A lot of people love them. Mine is a complete piece of shit. If you watch the review, you'll see how bad it really is. I cannot recommend that radio. If anybody, I've had people that are like, I love it, it's wonderful. You know what? I'm not spending my money on another one. You want to prove to me it's wonderful? Buy me one, send me one. You send me a good one that works, I'll give it a positive review. My experience right now is 0-1. I had one of them I paid good money for. It showed up. I reviewed it. It was just garbage. So I've stuck with the Grundig models. I found much better performance. Uh, I own two different Grundigs, and I love them. I don't care what you own. Just make sure it works and make sure it's reliable. I even have a uh, a little uh, LED lantern that has a radio built into it. Is it great sound quality? No, but it's yet another way to stay in communication with the outside world in a long-term outage. Uh, it also provides light. So the hand crank and solar radio is not really the high technology that we're talking about today, but something I wanted to include because it's so important, so available, and so affordable. Let's talk about GPSs for a moment. To me, 
GPSs, and I'll, I'm going to leave out fishing here. And I'm a fisherman, so you can imagine um, it, it's important to me, but I just don't think uh, that it's something we need to really focus on right now uh, for this show. And I want to, so I want to talk about two different types of GPSs briefly: the vehicle-based and handheld. Let's start out with vehicle-based. If again, this is if you know if finances are not an issue, I think it makes sense to have a, a vehicle-based GPS in every vehicle today. If finances are an issue, put it with the person who's most directionally challenged's main vehicle, and to be able to do things like set up all your rally points in the GPS and say, "Honey, just turn on the GPS." Go to go to favorites or however your GPS or you know destinations however your GPS manages those depending on what model you have. Select the one called okay. Go there. Now, could we be in a situation where that doesn't work? Yes, but could we be in a situation where it's needed and it still does work? Actually, more likely. GPS technology is fairly reliable. It's going to take you know a massive solar storm uh, with massive consequences to completely knock out GPS, or some type of coordinated warfare to take out GPS. If that happens, we've got bigger problems than just the GPS not working. So my view is, this is a good tool to have. So vehicle-based GPS is convenience for trips and road trips, and don't forget you can usually get uh, GPS applications now for things like your BlackBerry, uh, things like Android phones, definitely for, I have a really cool one for my iPhone uh, that, I, that I really like, uh, that, that actually is just, uh, let, me, let me look it up for you here, what it's called. It's called GMAP, and you can either get the East or the West map version. Uh, it's not cheap. It's like I think it was like twenty bucks or twenty five bucks or something like that. But it is a full scale badass GPS, and I do find it to be more valuable than things like you know the little Yahoo Maps and directions things that you can do for free. Um, but definitely vehicle based GPSs I think are extremely valuable. Um, especially think about it this way. Again, let's let's back off of the total disaster. You are out somewhere that you've never been before, and a family member has a severe injury, and you need to get them to a hospital. Most GPSs, that's two or three clicks, and you find the nearest hospital, and you're on your way, and you can get that person to a hospital way faster than you can explain to an ambulance how to get to where you're at. So maybe it's heat exhaustion or heat stroke because you've been out hiking, you know, and you know the person's good enough to get there, but they need attention right away, and you're panicked. Well, having someone say turn left now helps you in those situations. So I think uh, the vehicle-based GPS is definitely a good thing to have as part of your prepping life. Handheld GPSs to me are a great backup, and they allow you to really have. Kind of, I'm not going to go too deep into it because I kind of talked about how it would play into land navigation and using it to improve your primitive navigation skills by having it as a check tool and having it as a, a kind of a backup to help you find your way back a little bit better. Uh, but handheld GPSs have an immense amount of potential for the prepper when you're out. And about, let's say, bushcrafting or foraging or something like that. And you come along and you find, let's say, a grove of blackberries. And it's March, so those blackberries are just starting to grow. They have little flowers and green berries on them. They're not useful to you right now. Marking them, now I know where to go in June and July to harvest berries. If I happen to come across some junk 
that I look at, like some garbage and junk and things like that, that I find out when I'm out in, in doing some bushcrafting or whatever, and I look at that stuff and I go, don't really want to carry this home, but this actually could be useful. And instead of leaving it in a junk pile, I take the most useful stuff out of it, and I go tuck it somewhere under some branches or, or, or stash it somewhere. Again, deet deet on the, on the uh, Lawrence GPS, enter, enter. And uh, maybe I change the name of the, the, the grid point so that it's easier for me to remember what that's about. Uh, make a note annotation to it or something like that. But now, if I ever need it, there's yet another cache. Now, it's not material that I went out and bought and paid for and had to take out there and risk. It's just something of any type of value that I found that now I have the information as to where it is. And I start to build up my, my cash collateral. And when I say cash, folks, again, it's not money. It's things that are cashed. C-A-C-H-E, cash, like cachet, right? I start to build that up without really spending any money, both in natural resources and scavenged resources. There's so many things that a handheld GPS will do for the prepper slash outdoorsman. I happen to be walking along, and I find a heavily used game trail. I'm not hunting right now. Mark, annotation, there's a game trail there. I may not be able to find that game trail again later on. Sometimes game trails are really easy to identify, believe it or not, when the growth is heavy, like in the spring, early summer, uh, times like that, because there's so much green that the trail is really evident because it's the one place things aren't growing. And sometimes that trail can be identified, but it's harder to identify in the fall or the winter when there's no snow down because there's less evidence left behind that that's a heavily used game trail. So, again, it allows me to quickly locate places I've been before. And it starts to let me accumulate massive amounts of data. I can also back this up. I can take a plot map of the area, which you should have anyway, and when I go back home, I can sit down with my GPS, pull it up, and start marking the coordinates on the map. So now I have redundancy. But the GPS allowed me to quickly save the location and be definitive about the location. Where if I'm marketing on the ma marking on the map using you know a compass and shooting a back azimuth, which is another skill you should have, but we're not going there today, I could be wrong. With the GPS, I eliminate human error as long as it's functioning. And I will be able to locate the point again. Okay, If I have to use a map, it may take me longer, but I will have the right coordinates down. Just awesome, awesome technology uh, from the GPS. Now, if you want to know what GPS I carry for my handheld, I use the Lowrance H2O, and I use that unit because it's waterproof and it floats. And I take it out in my boat all the time, and I use it to also mark places that I fish. Um, I don't think it is the best land-based handheld, but since it has so much functionality for fishing, it's my primary GPS, and we have a cheap little Garmin GPS as well. Um, don't think, I do not believe that you should be without at least one GPS in your family, at least one. And I mean, you can get little ones now for 70 bucks, 80 bucks, stuff like that. And I really believe that when you go out uh, in the woods, you should probably put one in, 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 in multiple hands. So there should be multiple GPSs. It allows you to quickly re- uh, assemble at a point. So I think the GPS spawns everything from day-to-day -day, uh, road use out to traditional brush crafting and back. It's one of my favorite things. Maybe someday I should do a whole show just on GPSs uh, and their applications and things that we've actually done with them. 
I also think that cell phones and applications, which I've kind of touched on already, have an awful lot going for them. Um, we have a policy in our household that I established by not doing it on a day when I really should have, and nothing bad happened. My wife just worried why it took me so long to get back when I should have been gone for five minutes, and I was gone for uh, about 45 minutes. Uh, I forgot my cell phone. And I had a, a tire that wasn't even flat, but I just looked at it and went, man, this needs to be changed. Uh, had kind of a belt separation thing going on. So I stopped at a little park, I jacked the car up, and it was hot out, so I took my time doing it. I changed the tire, and I went on back up to our place. And my wife was freaked out because we were up in Arkansas, so we had one vehicle. She's there by herself, and she couldn't call me because when she called me, the phone rang on the table. So we now have a procedure that when you leave the house, one of the things on your checklist is, do I have a means of communication with me? And no one leaves the house without a means of communication. Now, could cell networks fail? Yes, absolutely. Was there a time when there was no such thing as a cell phone and people did it and survived all the time? Yes. Doesn't mean we don't use the technology we have today. It, it, to, 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 to not understand the reason to use modern technology, it would be like, hey, uh, Bill, you're going out in the woods. Uh-huh, yeah. Hey, why don't you take this really great windproof, um, completely filled up with extra fence lighter with you so you can start a fire. And you say, no thanks, I know how to start a fire with a fireboard uh, and a hand drill. You're an idiot. You really are. If that's what you do, if you're going to really be out somewhere where you might depend on fire and you have the opportunity to take this. Now, if you want to go out there and say, I'm going to build my fire with a hand drill... And anything short of freezing to death, I won't have one, but I'll take the lighter in case I need it. That I respect. To exclude a surefire method of fire creation by choice when you didn't have to is foolish. See, we know how to do the primitive skills because I'm going down the, uh, the, the river in my kayak. My survival kit's waterproof and everything, but when the kayak gets turned over, something happens. I hit my head. By the time I come to and pull myself out of the frigid water, my boat is gone and my kit is gone with it, and now I have nothing. So now I have the primitive skill. But in most situations, I'm going to be pulling the kit out, getting the waterproof uh, little piece of it with the lighting uh, equipment and tinder in it out, and making a fire instantly instead of sitting there freezing my ass off when I have hypothermia trying to create a bow drill out of nothing. The two skills interplay. And maybe eventually, in a long-term situation, I have a surefire method like a lighter, and I only use it as a last resort to prolong its, 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 uh, its lifespan. But it doesn't mean I exclude it. So cell phones I view the exact same way. If you own a cell phone, it should always be with you. You should have a vehicle charger for it. You should have a wall charger for it. And you should keep it whenever you're somewhere where you don't need to have it not being charged, it should be charged. Whenever you pick it up and leave the house, it should have a maximum amount of life expectancy that it possibly can have in it. I'm also becoming a pretty big fan of the application stuff. I have some pretty cool outdoor applications on my iPhone. I have one called iBird Pro. Now, this is not a survival app, but it is a great app for the wilderness. Basically, it has every single bird that you're likely to find in North America in it and identifying characteristics, including, like, it has a little thing where it'll play their song. In fact, let me do something for you. I'm going to play uh, a little song for you here. Give me a second. Let me try it again. 
Well, I'm going to do something here for you. I, I have my app pulled up, and I'm going to play a song for you, and you guys listen and see if you can figure out what bird this is. All right, that is... Let's stop him now. He, he's going to keep singing. That's a northern mockingbird, folks. And I know every single bird in this application has that, but I'd say 90% of them have the actual bird song characteristics. And you can do things like set their shape and size and color and where you saw them what time of year. And they'll give you take this list of thousands of birds down to two or three, and you pull up photos and illustrations, and you can identify birds. That's cool to have out in the wilderness. It really is. And since it's an app, it'll run even when you don't have the best signal. There's some portions of it where you can tie into Wikipedia and whatnot that don't. I also have another app that I really uh, like. It's called First Aid. And I'll, I'll put a link to that today as well. It gives you basic first aid parameters. So when you, when you look at a person, you can evaluate them, uh, based on their condition. It gives you basic first aid. And it really ends mostly with, you know, notify emergency medical services. Uh, but it does help you kind of go through a checklist and not forget things. So I think there's a tremendous number of apps that are out there like that. If you use Twitter, there's a, a an app called TweetDeck. Uh, that I think helps you tie into Twitter. There's a Facebook application. So those two we talked about earlier. There's also a Kindle app for the iPhone, and I think there's one for Android. I'm not sure. Uh, but what I love about the Kindle app is it makes my books available to me wherever I go, including books on survival subjects and things like that. So I think there's a, trem and there's a Weather Channel application as well. So with the Weather Channel app, and that one's free, Uh, I can, you know, tune into my weather, see what my radar looks like uh, in conjunction with the alert. So I get an alert that says there's a severe thunderstorm in my area. I can actually pull up real quick, see where it is, see if it's bearing down on me, see if I'm on the other side of it, what have you, so I have more information. Again, it's technology. It can fail. But having it available in an emergency is extremely valuable. And there's a lot that it can do for us when it's functioning. Uh I just don't understand why some people want to exclude things like this. If it fails, I'm in the same boat you are. If it works, I'm in a better boat than you are. That, that's kind of the way I've always looked at this. The next one I think that you should make part of what you're doing is portable data. Uh, thumb drives, MMC cards, uh, anything like that I think makes a lot of sense. I also think as long as it's information that you don't view as uh, confidential or private, So let's say you have a bunch of PDFs on a given subject. If you have some web space, throw that stuff on a web server somewhere so that no matter where you are, you can always reach it. This is a convenience and an emergency thing. So obviously I don't want to put a document in a little folder somewhere on one of my web servers uh, that has my a copy of my birth certificate in it, uh, my Social Security card, my bank account information. That would be stupid. That would be really dumb. But if I have, let's say, a copy of the U.S. Army Survival Manual in PDF, I might throw that on a server, and I happen to do that. Uh, if I have pictures of certain things that I might use for identification uh, in the future, not, you know, not, again, personal information, but things that I may want to do some comparative analysis of, throwing some photos into a specific folder. Anything other than private name information, private account information, and things like that, Uh, it makes a lot of sense. Just throw it on a web server. Now, the secure storage methods you can put other stuff on, 
I'm not big on that. I don't really want any personal data out there in some type of a consumer level access product, even something that is designed to be extremely secure. Now I know you'll tell me that, you know, if I have an account with a company that they have that information, but that's their issue, right? I don't need to create another weakness uh, for something like that to occur. But the, the, you know, the USB drives, small hard drives with all of the data that might be critical to you, I think is a huge advantage to have that with you. Um, the thumb drives that go on a keychain are great because they're always with you. Make sure you get a good, reliable one, though. And I don't really mean reliable from technology. They're, they're all equally prone to failure. <laughs> Let me put it to you that way from a technology standpoint. I'm talking about physical. I've seen some that like they just they break off of a keychain really easy. I don't like the ones that the 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 uh, the cap connects to the keychain. So when you pull the drive out, it's separate because inevitably it's going to fall off and you're going to lose it. I like the drive to stay attached if I have to make it do it myself to my keys. That way I don't ever leave it in a computer somewhere in a public area either because I need my keys to leave. Right, so I always like the other, the inverse method of connection, I guess, to the key ring. Uh, there's also some incredibly cool ways to keep data uh, secure that's portable uh, that where it would never be found. There's a, a company called CoinSpy that makes, and I have one. It's a quarter, and a little ring comes with it. it. Looks just like a quarter. You'd never know it's not a regular quarter. You put in this ring and you smack it on the table. I found out about this from Brian at ITS Tactical. Coin comes apart. It's hollow inside. And you can't put a full-size uh, media card in there, but the little micro SD cards, which you can get two, I think you can get those up to like 8 gig now. And they go into a little adapter so that they can go into a normal uh, uh, MMC card slot. You could put one of those inside the coin. And without that little ring, you would never even get the coin apart. It, if you know what to look for, you can tell the coin is hollow. You, you can. I mean, you can almost feel the weight difference if you know to look for it. But if I handed you a handful of quarters, uh, you would never, or 50-cent pieces or nickels or whatever uh, coin you choose, you would never just arbitrarily realize that there's something there. So you got to be careful with them that you don't spend one. right? So if you keep that in your pocket as a backup, secure form of data, uh, make sure you don't end up spending it at Kroger's or something like that. But uh, definitely make portable drives part of what you're doing. They're so inexpensive, and, and they, they allow you to take so much data with you now. Uh, and I also think that there's a huge case for two is one and one is none here. Two thumb drives are better than one. You can put the same data on both of them in seconds. You keep all your data that you want, at least pathways to it, in a single folder on your computer, and you put that thumb drive in there whenever you've done an update, and you drag it, and you write o override it. You pull drive one out, you stick drive two in, and you override it. Uh, your, all your documentation packages, stuff, everything like that can go in there. Everybody in the family can have one. Now, you need a computer, right? That thumb drive is useless without a computer. Odds are, in today's day and age, anywhere you go where you're going to have the ability to contact somebody anyway, you're going to be able to find a computer. Now, it may not have internet access, but with your thumb drive, you don't need internet access. You just need information access. But it also brings me to my next thing that I think should be part of any prepper's life. A decent, I didn't say top end or badass, a decent laptop. Laptop computers will run and function when the power's off, however long your battery lasts. My battery life out of my uh, computer, and I have a... Uh, uh, a pretty nice Vario uh, computer, uh, I get about an hour and a half to two hours of battery life 
depending on how much charge is in my backup battery, and I have a second battery for it. So I got four hours of computer life, even with the power off. Do I have internet access? You bet I do, because I have an AT&T uh, wireless internet access stick that I can plug in and use uh, for, for internet access if the, if the power's out. With my PowerDome EX, I can hook my docking station up to it, and my uh, DSL modem, as long as the phone lines are up, I still have internet access, and I still have what functions as a desktop computer, even though it's a laptop. But a laptop is portable, and it's, it's low power draw, and can run a long time on a lot of backup different types of power systems. If you have a laptop computer and a simple power inverter, you have a computer that will run in your vehicle, as long as you have gas for your vehicle, uh, indefinitely. So it's a tremendous way to store and read information. It is also a method of providing some entertainment in that scenario where you kind of hunker down as a family and everybody's bored and scared. A few DVDs or some videos on the hard drive, at least you can watch some movies. All right? Now, I know that we have a lot of hardcore survivalists here that want to go out in the wilderness and test their skills. And watching, uh, you know, Toy Story 2... Uh, or when it comes to DVD, Toy Story 3, which is in theaters now, moms and dads, uh, doesn't sound like a survival topic. When you have three little kids that are scared shitless, folks, it matters to them. It gives them a semblance of normalcy, and it helps them get through the situation. You fire up the laptop, you plug it into the outlet in the vehicle, you pop in a DVD, and there's some semblance of it's going to be okay for kids. And for adults, too. There's some advantages there. I'll talk more about videos here in a bit as far as the educational videos that we use to learn more skills. Uh, next up is um, digital cameras, though. And I don't think most people need to go out and get a digital camera because if you have a cell phone, and most of us do, there's probably a digital camera in your cell phone. What I don't think is that people realize the survival value of the camera in the first place. If I see a suspicious vehicle... The first thing I do is whip out my camera and take a picture of the license plate. I don't have to worry about that right now. Now, if it's a high-speed vehicle moving down the road that I think is causing a danger, uh, can I do that? Probably not. But if I see a vehicle parked somewhere, and I'm going to like assess the situation, back off, and maybe call authorities, click, done. Even from a distance where I don't get a good uh, view, because I can digitally zoom with my, my iPhone, and you know then I can give 911 the plate number. That's just one example. What if you're out somewhere in the woods or even just at a picnic or something like that and a friend or a family member is bit by an insect or a snake? Now, what is what is protocol? Protocol is if you don't know what the snake is or you don't know what the insect is, kill it so it can go to the emergency room with the, with the person that's been bit. That way they can possibly identify it. Not always practical, not always possible, and sometimes risks you being bit or stung in addition. Pull out the camera, take a picture. That's better than a dead snake. With a photograph, the guy at the emergency room goes, Dude, that's a rat snake. Get him out of here. He's fine. Pour a little peroxide on it and, and maybe give him a tetanus shot if it makes him feel better. But you don't even need to be here. Or, oh, I see. Uh, let's get this guy some antivenom stat because he's going to die otherwise. Tremendous advantage, and there's so many, and this is one of those things that like you probably already have, you just need to think about being able to use it, 
and using your camera as more than a way to take pictures and text them to friends when something cute or funny is going on. Um, I recently bought the new truck that I, that I mentioned. Uh, I needed a pass for the lake for towing my boat and putting my boat in and out of the lake. I didn't have the license plate number memorized on my own truck yet. And instead of writing it down, I got out of my truck, I took a picture of my plate, I went into the store, and when I filled out the paperwork, there's my license plate number on my truck. Make sense? I mean, there's so many ways that that can be utilized. Um, let's go back to GPS. So, uh, we're out in the wilderness with our GPS. We mark a location with the GPS. What if we take a picture of it, too? Now it becomes easier to find if the GPS fails in the future. I know what the area looked like at the time. Because if I have 20 or 30 places that I may want to find in a given region of woodlands, being able to know what the place looks like might be helpful. Now some pictures in the woods are not very identifying. They don't help. But if you find something like a certain stump or a certain limb or something, taking that picture, even if you don't find that exact one, Looking at the picture sometimes jogs the memory. Oh, I remember that place, and I remember what's there, and I remember how to get there. Uh, the video functionality on these digital cameras and phones also has a lot of potential. Um, you may be in a situation where you can't get the phone to work, right? But you can get the data portion of the phone to work. You could actually take a video requesting help and send it, and whenever that phone picks up a signal, it's going to then send that video and get your message out, right? So there's so many things that a phone-slash-digital camera can do if we'll think beyond the obvious, calling for pizza, calling our wife to explain that we're going to be late, and sending cute pictures of our kids to grandma and grandpa. There's a lot of things that those pictures and, and digital cameras can do for us if we'll get our head outside of the box, so to speak. Um, next is the government websites that can give you information about getting ready uh, for for emergencies and disasters. World, World Health Organization with putting together a flu pandemic plan. Ready.gov is really a pretty good site. I know that uh, a lot of folks who listen to the show exactly, aren't exactly enamored with our government. They don't think that our government's the greatest thing since sliced bread. I'm with you. I hate government. I hate government in its current form, I should say. Uh, I think it's a bloated, overburdening corpse uh, of bureaucracy. But if they have something useful, well, you know, I'm going to use it. So again, ready.gov, uh, FEMA's website, World, World Health Organization when it comes to flu and pandemic, pandemicflu.gov. These are all good websites. Uh, they're, they're not the greatest uh, but they'll give you a, a basic framework. I'll also tell you that there's a company called, and we, they're not a sponsor, they're not part of the MSB or anything like that, but uh, they are a good company. Most of you have probably heard of them. They're called Emergency Essentials. They have a tremendous uh, uh, resource of articles on their website uh, for putting together basic plans and basic preps. Uh, and all of those things are useful. Hopefully this show is useful to you. This is a a form of technology as well. I get on this uh, show every day, and I give you things that you can do to improve your life. Hopefully, most of you, when you download the show, save it, and occasionally we'll go back and listen to an episode on something. Uh, I need to do this now. Oh, Jack did a show on that. And that's great. And that's one of the great things about podcasts. So I guess podcasts should have been on my list since I do one, even though they're not. Um, but the thing about podcasts, it helps me segue to my last resource, and I think this is a really cool one, folks. A podcast is portable. Once you download it, you have it on your iPod or you put it on an MP3 player or you just put it on your computer. 
um, you know, for those of you that want to use iTunes but don't have an iPhone, you can put iPhones on your uh, iTunes on your computer and run your run iTunes on your computer. So I don't know if everybody knows that, but you can have your podcast download it to your computer automatically, listen to them on your computer through iTunes without ever owning an iPod, as long as you have a computer running iTunes. You have multiple computers all set up with their own little iTunes accounts, uh, downloading things and making sure that you have all of the information available at all times. So there's a tremendous amount of flexibility with podcasting. But I think the big place that people get a lot of information today for prepping and for other things on the how-to subjects, how to tie a certain kind of knot, how to build a trellis for your garden, how to create a payout deadfall trap, um, how to build a blowgun out of, you know, Dave, Dave Canterbury's videos, how to build a blowgun out of PVC pipe, how to build a dart for the blowgun, how to build a slingbow. All these great videos, we rely on YouTube. So I think YouTube's a great survival resource with one issue. When there's no internet available, YouTube's not available. Or if sketchy internet uh, access is available, maybe you have uh, that data stick uh, for AT&T. But you're not really in the 3G area. You're kind of in a sketchy coverage area. And you can get internet connection for things like sending an email or whatever. But watching a video on YouTube, uh, especially at a time when you might actually need the information and you're trying to do this, uh, not really very practical. So, there's actually a way to get any video off of YouTube into a MPEG-4 or several other formats and just basically strip it off of YouTube and take it with you anywhere you want to take it. And I mean anywhere you want to take it. Completely portable. Formatted for your iPod. Uh, or, like a lot of times when I do my feedback shows, you'll hear me say, I'm going to bring this on from YouTube, and I just play you the audio. So if you just wanted the uh, audio out of a YouTube video, you can convert it to an MP3. And the tool is not free, uh, but I do think it's one of the coolest tools out there. I own it. It's how I get those audio segments onto the podcast. It's called Video Download Helper. And I think it's it's pretty daggone badass. I bought it a while ago, so let me real quick check on their site and see how much it costs. I think it was like 20 bucks. Okay, well, I can't find a price on it. And I'll tell you what happens. This is actually free, and it either li- I don't remember it either limits how long you can use it for or it, limite- it limits how long uh, you can convert. So maybe it's only two minutes or something. But I paid for the upgrade, and I think it was about 20 bucks, and it was worth every stinking penny. So again, it's called Video Download Helper. And uh, it won't just do YouTube. It'll do quite a few other platforms that'll strip videos off of. Uh, like, uh, I know you can get some of the videos off National Geographic with it. Um, and I think you'll find that you can get uh, videos off of uh, quite a few different sites. If they use a similar technology to YouTube, uh, it'll work. And what you'll basically see is you'll see a little option to download uh, right near the video if the uh, system recognizes it's downloadable. But the best source of your videos for this tool is going to be YouTube. And, and again, I want you to understand what this means. What this means is by paying for the upgrade for this thing, and again, I think it was like 20 bucks, uh, you can go to YouTube, and every time you see a video and you go, I'd like that on my iPod, or I'd like that in my smartphone, or I'd like that on my PC permanently, or I'd like that on a data drive, or I'd like that on a disk, you grab it, convert it to the format you want it in, and you have it. And I would be dishonest if I didn't admit something I've done with it. There's been times where I've wanted a piece of music, and I didn't feel like buying it because I needed it for something short term. I just wanted to you know, maybe have that song available for a day or two. 
and I've gone to YouTube and I've looked up the music video and almost every popular music video is on YouTube and then I just stripped out the MP3 so you do what you want with that little piece of information I guess technically that would be piracy but um, you know uh, I'm just telling you it can be done so Hopefully it's interesting to you guys today's show. I, I just wanted to do something a little bit different that I've done for a while. I kind of shift gears, so to speak, and give you a different way to look at things and a different way to take things in. So, uh, again, I mean, just thinking of some of the stuff we talked about today, emergency weather alerts and Google News alerts, using Facebook to stay in touch with folks, uh, off-the-shelf backup power and solar hand-cracked uh, uh, radios, GPSs, using cell phones in their applications, portable uh, data drives, laptop computers, digital cameras, government websites, YouTube videos, and a special tool, again, Video Download Helper. I don't make any money on this, folks. I'm telling you, it's a great, badass little tool to take those videos and make them available to yourself. And the thing about this, with a little bit of video editing software, uh, you could take all of the files and maybe create one file that is all on primitive navigation or one that is all, you know, from your favorite folks on YouTube, one that is all on, uh, let's say, how to make traps. So you could actually create your own videos of maybe multiple people put together with them. Please don't use this to steal other people's YouTube content and put it on your own YouTube channel. That's not why I told you about it. Yes, that could be done. Uh, but that is not a proper use of a technology like this. This is to make the content that they wanted to make available to you, available to you when you don't have the internet connection. So please use it properly, despite my comments about what can be done with music. That's, that's up to you to decide what you want to do with that. Anyway, with that, uh, I'm going to wrap up today. Remember, make technology part of your prepping, but don't make your prepping dependent on technology. This has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life. Time for you to jump or even they don't. Nobody up there cares, they're living for